Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 15. For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we've been walking through the book of Genesis for a number of months now. Um, the first section of our study we called In the Beginning God, and this second section we're calling patriarchs and promises. So the past few weeks, we've been looking at our first patriarch of the faith, Abraham. And as we study Abraham in scripture, we know that there was nothing special about him according to the world standards. But God saw something in him and would birth the group, people group from him. God would make this huge promise to Abraham. He told him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth shall be blessed by you. What we're going to see this morning is we're going to see God really put an exclamation point on his promise with Abraham. So notice um, beginning of verse 1. So let's turn there again. Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to start by reading the first six verses. We'll walk through those and then later on in our message we'll walk through the rest of the book of Genesis. But beginning in verse 1 we read, after those things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the heir of my house, Eliezer of Damascus and Abraham. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Our main point this morning is this, God will always fulfill his promise with those that trust him. You believe that this morning? You believe that our God is a promise keeper? Well, we know that he is. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. Notice our first point this morning, a promise is given here. In verse 1 again, we read, After these sayings, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So after Abraham um, had returned, last week we looked at Abraham returning from rescuing Lot. Um, Lot had been taken captive by those four wicked kings. And Abraham mounts this, um, he, he acts as a general. With 318 men, he goes to war against four wicked kings and their mighty men. He rescues Lot, brings him back home. And now we see here that, that Abraham um, has some kind of a fear. It could very well be that that fear was connected to that battle. You know, if, 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 if you don't take care of your enemy, then there's a good chance that that enemy may mount a revenge attack against you. So very, it's very likely that Abraham was a little bit anxious a little bit fearful about what was coming next as a result of what happened in that battle. So in response to Abraham's fear, the Lord instructs him to fear not. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you ever find yourself experiencing a little fear? Some, a fear of the unknown? Raise your hand. Most of us in this room feel a little anxious at times. There's a little bit of fear when it comes to the unknown. Um, Several years ago, um, there was a lady by the name of Katie Madrano that did a study, and she identified the top 10 human fears. The 10th is this, 
the fear of losing your freedom. Number nine is the fear of the unknown. Number eight is the fear of pain and hurt. Number seven, the fear of disappointment. Number six, the fear of misery. Number five, the fear of loneliness. Number four, the fear of ridicule. Number three, the fear of rejection. Number two, the fear of death. I really thought that death would come before number one, but the number one human fear is the fear of failure. You know, when I think about my own life, you know, there are times that I experience fear. I sometimes fear rejection or being a disappointment to others or even failing as a father or a husband or a pastor. You know, fear is real. We see it throughout the pages of Scripture. If it is a basic human emotion, but if that emotion is left unchecked, it can very well cripple us, can't it? So the Lord tells Abraham, do not be afraid. It is said that, that this is one of the most repeated words in all of Scripture, or one of the most repeated phrases in all of Scripture. Some variation of it is used over 350 times. So fear not. Do not be afraid, because God's got your back, is what we're reading here and what we're being assured of, and what we're being promised of. In fact, in the midst of Abraham's fear, the Lord tells Abraham that I am your shield. Back in the day, a shield was standard military equipment. A shield would be used to deflect those arrows, to deflect the blow of a sword, or to to deflect the thrust of a spear. A soldier would certainly not last long on the battlefield without a shield. So the Lord tells him, I'm your shield. He's telling Abraham, I am your protector. He's saying, I got your back. Just as he promised Abraham that he would be his shield, you and I can know that, he, that as his children, he is our shield as well. God, the next thing that we see here is that the Lord assures Abraham that I am your reward. We read, fear not, Ab- Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God had told Abraham that he had a plan for his life, and that plan included a a son. It included a people group. It included a country, a land mass that would be their very own. Folks, just like the Lord had a plan for Abraham, he has a plan for every single believer in this room. In fact, we read in Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Know that God's plan is always a good plan and always the right plan, and always a perfect plan. He has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us in this room. So in response to the Lord telling Abraham what he told him, we see Abraham question the Lord. So we see next here a promised question. So in verses 2 and 3 again we read, But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So we see here, Abraham responds to the Lord with these words, O Lord God. He uses a new name for God here. In the Hebrew, the way that Abraham is addressing God is this, O Adonai Yahweh, meaning 
master God. There's a sense of brokenness and a sense of disappointment in Abraham's voice here. He wants one thing desperately in life, and that is a son. And God had promised him a son, and after years of trying, he still has no son. So what he is literally doing here is he's crying out to God, asking God when he's going to bring to fulfillment that promise. In 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Peter wrote these words, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. What Abraham does and what Peter affirms is what every single one of us in this room must do. We should cast our cares, our problems, our struggles, our hurts, our pains, our everything at the feet of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And we see here Abraham in his brokenness responds to the Lord. His response is actually in the form of of a solution. So we read, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Do you see what Abraham's solution to his problem is? He has no son, but what he does has, have is a faithful servant by the name of Eliezer. In Eliezer, Abraham saw the fulfillment of God's problem, or God's promise. But there's a problem with that. God did not promise him a son via any other means than of his own flesh and blood. And so we see God's response to Abraham's solution next. And the Lord says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. I think all of us, some a little quicker than try to move um, a little quicker than God does, right? You ever found yourself doing that? You know, we live in a world that really is um, all about instant gratification. Man, we have access to instant this, instant that. I mean, think about food-wise. Man, you can go to your freezer, and you can grab you a TV dinner, and you can throw it in the microwave. In a matter of minutes, you've got a meal. You can go through any fast food restaurant. In a matter of minutes, they're going to deliver to you your, your, your food. You go, you get online and you type in in that little Google search bar a question. In a matter of minutes, you're going to, or a matter of milliseconds, you're going to have an answer to your question. We have access to the world's data at any given moment. Uh, Think about um, your connectivity um, with your family and your friends. I mean, I can text my wife and if she's not mad at me, she's going to respond to me pretty quickly. I can get on the phone and I can call one of my kids up and, and, and talk to them. And in a moment, they're going to respond unless they're busy. We think God should move at our time, our, 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 uh, in our time um, frame of things, don't we? But God doesn't work like that. His timing is always the perfect timing. For Abraham, he would have to wait until he was 100 years of age before the child of promise would be born to him. Sometimes we have to wait days before the Lord answers us. Sometimes it's weeks or months or years. Some of you may have received a promise from the Lord decades ago, and that promise has yet to be fulfilled. If the Lord promised you something, 
you can take it to the bank that he's going to do it. So remain faithful and continue to believe the Lord because the Lord is going to bring to fruition that which he promised you. Notice next we see here with Abraham, man, he finally begins to get it. We see here a promise received. In verses 5 and 6, again, we read, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Can you imagine what Abraham is experiencing at this moment? The Lord takes him um, uh, in the midst of this vision, takes him outside. And, and, and the Lord promises him that the number of his offspring are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. You know, your naked eye can see about 10,000 stars if you're in the right location when there's not a lot of ambient light around. Under using a telescope, the naked eye can see about um, a million or so stars. But we know that there are billions upon billions of stars out in our galaxy. And God tells Abraham right here, so shall your offspring be. Abraham had heard God say before that his descendants would be great. And now the Lord reaffirms his promise to him. This would prove to be that light bulb moment for Abraham. It was a moment for Abraham when he believed God would do what he said he would do. He had heard the promise. He had responded to the promise. But on this day, he truly believed in the promise. And as a result, the Lord would reward Abraham for his faith. We read again in verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This verse is considered to be the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. This verse tells us about Abraham's faith and God's reward for his faith. We read within this verse what is necessary for a person to be found to be in right standing with God, what is necessary for a person to be saved and gifted with the gift of eternal life. So we see here there's, there, there's three things that are necessary for a person to be saved. The first thing that Moses, who wrote Genesis, tells Abraham is this, or tells us of Abraham's faith, says that Abraham believed We too have to believe to be saved. We have to believe that God is who he said he is. We have to believe that God will do what he said he would do. We have to believe that what the Bible says about God is true. What the Bible says about Jesus is true. We have to believe that what Jesus said about himself is true. Abraham believed. He truly believed in that moment that God was going to give him a son. And because of his belief, the next thing that we see in this passage is the word counted. Some of your translations may say credited or even reckoned. This is a banking term. In the business world, when debits are balanced by credit, the account is paid up. There is no greater feeling than when you pay something off, right? Think about some of the things that you've achieved paying off in your lifetime. Maybe it was paying off a car, paying off a credit card, paying off a student loan. Some of you in this room have been blessed. You've been able to pay off your house. Man, there's something rewarding about that. And, 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 and when you made that final payment, you got a confirmation receipt with the words maybe paid in full or zero balance. That is what Abraham received from the Lord on this day. God credited his account with righteousness. 
This word righteous means to be in right standing with God. God looked down on Abraham, and he did not see any longer a wretched sinner, but he saw a faithful saint. Every single person in this room has to be found in right standing with God before you can inherit the gift of eternal life. And we are found to be in right standing with God when he declares us to be in right standing with him. We are declared to be in right standing with him when we believe in him. Understand, this is more than believing in God. Okay, Scripture tells us that even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Many people believe in God, but they do not trust God with their eternity. When we believe God, we believe his promise of forgiveness and new life through Jesus. When we believe in Jesus and trust the work he did on the cross, it is then that God credits our account with righteousness. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. One pastor shared, Faith is the response that God wants to his grace. It was God's grace that was demonstrated when he called Abraham out of the land of Ur. Faith occurred when Abraham believed and obeyed and followed. Salvation occurred when God declared Abraham to be in right standing with him. All of us must recognize that it is only by grace through faith that we are saved. My question for you this morning is this. Are you saved? Do you believe? Do you trust God's word? And do you believe in his son, Jesus Christ? I know I share this verse a lot. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There is only one way to gain access to God the Father. That is through God the Son. And in order to gain access, you have to believe in him. You have to believe in his word. You have to trust him and follow after him. Next, we see a promise secured, or a promise assured. So let's look um, at our next section of scripture here. We're going to read verses 7 through 16 together here. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of the, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid each, um, laid each over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation and they, uh, that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age." 
and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You know, right before, or right after God declares Abraham righteous, he tells him again that the land he was in would be his as an inheritance. It was God's gift to him for his faithfulness. Think about God's gift to you. You know what you and I get at the moment of our salvation? We get the gift and the promise of eternal life. It's good news, isn't it? At the moment that you repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are gifted with the gift of eternal life. It was God's gift to Abraham for his faithfulness. Not only do we get the gift of eternal life, we also get the gift of joining God in the work that he is doing here on earth. We get to point people to Jesus. We get to lead them to their inheritance, which comes when they repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'll never forget reading several years ago um, a, a, a story about Joni Erickson Tata. Many of you know who she is, but at the age of 17, she became a quadriplegic as a result of a swimming accident. After years in a wheelchair, um, one day she was at a conference. And while at that conference, she was answering some questions. And there was a gentleman in the room that, that asked her about her, her, her will to live. Basically wanted to know how she was able to continue to live and serve the Lord in her current condition. And this is what Joni Erickson responded, um, the way that she responded. She said, this is the only time in human history when I get to fight for God. This is the only part of my eternal story when I'm actually in the battle. Once I die, I'll be in celebration mode in a glorified body, in a whole different set of circumstances. But this is my limited window of opportunity, and I'm going to fight the good fight for all I'm worth. That right there, man, that is some powerful words. What I love about that is the, is, is the hope that, that she has in Jesus and the recognition of the urgency that she has here on earth. This is the one opportunity that she has to fight for Jesus. Folks, this is the one opportunity that we have to fight for Jesus, the one opportunity that we have to impact the world for Jesus Christ. It is our one chance to lead people to Jesus, to disciple them, to love them, to walk with them. It is our one opportunity in human history to change the world for Jesus Christ. Joni Erickson Tata recognized that. I think Abraham recognized that. My question for all of us in this room is, do we recognize that? Do we live our lives with that kind of urgency, knowing that one day we're going to close our eyes for the final time, and we'll never have the opportunity to represent Jesus Christ again here on this earth? Man, let's live up, waste our life for Jesus Man, let's expend it all for him. Let's run the race of life with our eyes fixed upon the prize, Jesus. And in the process, let's expend, uh, ex expend all of our energy, bringing honor and glory to Jesus, living for him. So let's continue looking here. You know, in response to God's good gift to Abraham, 
Abraham wants to know the how. That's kind of how we are too, isn't it? And when God tells us something, we're kind of like, okay, how is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Is it going to happen in my lifetime? Is it going to happen in my kid's lifetime? When is the promise going to come to fulfillment? So the Lord tells Abraham to prepare a sacrifice. And after he prepares that sacrifice, the Lord tells him of what is going to come to him and the nation. Keith Creel points out the Lord is going to speak to the pain that would come to Abraham's offspring before the reward. Isn't that how life is sometimes? There can be pain and suffering before the reward. Abraham's children, his offspring, will experience much pain before they receive the reward of the promised land. They would be slaves in Egypt. They would be beaten and treated harshly and poorly for for around 400 years. But after that 400 years, the Lord would deliver them from Pharaoh's captivity, and he would prepare to bring them into the promised land. Folks, you and I may experience much pain in this world, but this world is not our home. And we need to live our eyes recognizing that our home is not here. Our home is heaven. We're just temporary residents here. We are aliens, as Scripture calls us here. So in closing, let's look again at how the Lord puts an exclamation point um, at the end of his promise with Abraham. So we see here a promise secured. In verses 17 through 21, we read, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. It's a lot. That's a mouthful there. Back in verse 9, the Lord instructed Abraham. He told him to bring particular animals before him and to cut those animals in half. In verse 17, we see how the Lord passed between those two animals are between those animals, pass through that, that sacrifice in the form of a smoking fire or a flaming torch. Folks, there is significance to those animals being cut in half. In ancient days, a person would make a covenant with another person, and they would cut an animal in two just like this, and, and they would make a covenant with one another, and that covenant would be sealed as they walked through those animals. And when they got to the other side, if they didn't keep their end of the covenant, their fate could very well be just like that animal that they had sacrificed. On this day, it was not both Abraham and God that would pass through that sacrifice. It was the Lord only that passed through. You see, the covenant that was being established on this day with Abraham, it really was a one-sided covenant. God gave Abraham on this day a guarantee that what he said he would do, he would do. He he, he guaranteed him a son. He guaranteed him a people. He guaranteed him a a piece of land. And he also guaranteed him that there was going to be some pain and heartache that would come to his family. 
God did exactly what he said he would do. What was God teaching Abraham? He was teaching him that he was a man of his word. He was teaching him that, he, that what he said he would do, he would do. You know, Abraham was by far, I mean, he was not a perfect man, okay? He would make many mistakes before this moment. He would make many mistakes after this moment. But the difference between the Abraham before this moment and the Abraham after this moment is the Abraham before was a lost man. The Abraham after was a saved man. He was a cleansed man. He was a man that had been declared righteous in the eyes of God. How does God see you this morning? Does he see you as a man or a woman or a student or a child of faith? If you were to die today and stand before the judgment seat of Christ, how would you be seen? Would you be seen as a person covered in the blood of the Lamb because you have placed your trust and faith in Jesus? Or would you be seen as a wretched sinner because you chose not to believe? Jesus died for you. He shed his blood on Calvary's cross for you. His blood provides a covering for every single one of us in this room and those outside the doors of this room. Provides a covering for our sins. And that is grace. That is God's grace. God's glorious grace on full display is what Jesus did on the cross for us. How do you become a person of faith? How do you receive the gift of eternal life? You believe in what Jesus Christ did for you. And you place your faith and trust in him. If you haven't done that this morning, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I want to invite you this morning to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is indeed who he said he was. Now, I want to invite you this morning to believe in God, to believe in his word, to believe in, 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 in him for your eternal salvation. If you haven't done that, we're going to pray in just a moment, and I'm going to invite you to come. And I want to, I, I want to invite you to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And we serve a good God. We serve a loving God. We serve a God that loved you so much that he went to the cross and he died for you. John three sixteen, one of the most popular verses in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in Jesus? If not, I want to invite you to come. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, thanking you for the promises that are found in your word. Father, we thank you for being a promise keeper. We thank you, Father, that you kept your word with Abraham and you told him that a son would come from him and we know that a son did come from him in the form of Isaac. And from Isaac, a nation would be born. Father, I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that if there is someone in this room that up until this moment in their life they have questioned whether or not you indeed are real. Father, I pray that today they will take a step of faith, acknowledging that you indeed are the God of the universe, acknowledging that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that all of us can gain access to you. 
I pray that today will be the day that they confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they believe today that you rose your son three days after he died from the grave. And Father, your word makes it abundantly clear for those that have placed their faith and believe, they shall be saved. So may today be the day of salvation for, for one or more people in this room, for one or more people that will be joining us online. Father, just move now. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.